Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to the Out of Structure Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. I'm Matt Stagner here with Ron Cobb Jr. Ron, how are you feeling about today's show? Matt, I don't want to put the pressure on ourselves, but uh, I'm excited because, dare I say, is this the best podcast yet of this uh, of the Out of Structure Podcast? I think it might be. I don't want to put the pressure on us, but I think you know, it might be. If it's not the best, it might at least be the most controversial. For over the last few weeks, people have probably come to know us as level-headed you know, good fan takes on Chiefs football. But today we're going to do our best to create some controversy in a very specific way on a topic that's probably second only, if not first uh, in Kansas City's hearts when it comes to things that we're passionate about. Before I get too far, speaking of great podcasts, I do want to give a shout out. If you haven't already subscribed and listened to the other podcasts on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network, please tune in to Ron and BK. That show is a lot of fun with a couple of real pros. There's also the Great British Baking Show. I'm sorry, the Great British Chief Show. Uh, <laughs> with those guys that are a lot of fun to listen to with some really good Chiefs takes, but also some soccer and other stuff mixed in from across the pond. And of course, the editor show uh, with, with our editors from the Airhead Pride side, including Pete uh, Sweeney talking about all kinds of news and updates uh, from Arrowhead Pride. So certainly don't miss out on those other podcasts. I'm really excited to see all of these shows taken off all at once. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So let's get into it. Uh, I know there was a article out uh, that Matt pointed me to that I I thought it was a really interesting article um, from NFL Wire, um, NFL's best pass rushers from every gap and technique um, which is a pretty unique thing. You know, I don't even know how they they chart that, but they were able to. You know, it's an interesting take. I thought it was something we should talk about because it really points to what may be an overlooked acquisition this offseason and the Jaron Reed signing. What they did in this article was pointed out the best pass rushers in the NFL at each gap or, or technique. And I'll let Ron explain a little bit about what these gaps and techniques mean. But the summary was that Chris Jones was the top pass rusher at his position in the NFL, and Jaron Reed was as well. So, Ron, tell us a little bit more about what three technique and four I and some of these other things mean. Yeah, so Chris Jones, a three technique. I think most people have heard that term, but maybe you don't understand exactly what that means. So uh, the gaps are divided in numbers, and so the three technique is actually the outside shoulder of the guard. And so he's lining up uh, outside shoulder, just inside the tackle, but lined up on the uh, outside shoulder of the guard. So for I, Jaron Reed's position would be inside shoulder of the tackle. So they're actually pretty similar positions from the naked eye. You couldn't probably really tell much difference between them, but there's just that little subtle difference. Reed is just a little lined up more outside. And so for the Chiefs and their base formation, 
usually see the Chiefs go with a one technique or a two eye, which is going to be closer to the center, kind of between the center and the guard. And then a three technique, which is what, like we just said, that's where Jones lines up. That's his main position. But when that's on traditional downs. But when we get to pass rushing situations, the Chiefs historically, like on third down, they like to move that one tech from inside closer to Jones' position as a three tech, which is a four eye in this, in this situation. So they do that by, you know, in the past, hey, Naughty, Derek Naughty, he's a great one tech. He's exactly what they need from a run tech. He's a run stuffing type of guy. But you need a little more pass rush juice from a four eye or a three tech in pass rushing situations. So that's why they've historically, like last year, they would bring in Turk Wharton for those kind of plays. So does that mean that you'll see Chris Jones and Jaron Reed essentially shoulder to shoulder on passing downs? Are they going to be lined up right next to each other? Or are they on opposite sides of the formation in this scenario? They are on opposite sides. Uh, Yes, the three tech is on one side of the center. The one tech is on the opposite side of the center. And then so on third down situations, Chris Jones stays exactly where he is at that three tech. And then the one tech would be widened out to a four eye. And so what you do in that situation is you're creating more one-on-ones you know, if you're, if you're closer to the center, he can help better. But if you're taking away, if you're moving away from the center, he can't help the guards as easy because he can't reach all the way to get to that outside shoulder of the guard. And so that actually just creates more mismatches on your defensive line. The Chiefs like to blitz a guy up the middle to kind of occupy that center. And so that's why, yeah, I think the Chiefs have upgraded at that four-eye position. It's been Wharton last year, but now you have a proven veteran in Reed who will come in in those third-down situations, really be a, a force of, uh, a, a force of uh, destruction, I guess, to uh, to go for that. So, yeah. So, yeah, I really like Jaron Reed at, at that four-eye position. So, all of this assumes that you're keeping Jones on the interior as a pass rusher and showing that he's the best in the business at what he does. Obviously, this list was clear to say that Aaron Donald was the best overall at any position, no matter where you line him up. That's a given. Outside of Aaron Donald, we've shown that Chris Jones – is the top interior pass rusher in the NFL at the three tech. So that really leads to our next question here from um, Junior Hesaya. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right or not, uh, but how do you feel about reports of Chris Jones switching to defensive end with the acquisition of Jaron Reed? Will they deploy these guys? How will they deploy them in their base defense? So Ron just covered a little bit of that, but really from Tadashi Jr., this is the, the question Chris Jones, full-time defensive end, yay or nay? It would be dumb, in my opinion, to convert Jones to a full-time defensive end. I just he made his money on the interior for a reason. He's such a force, uh, such a force inside. But I could see where his size and length could be utilized on rundowns over guys like Mike Dana or Taco Charlton. They're good players, but just not Dana's just a kind of a shorter, uh, you know, not as big kind of guy. And Taco Charlton, he's a great pass rusher. A good pass rusher, just not, you know, hasn't really shown a good ability to be a, a solid run defender. So Chris Jones' weight and his just frame allows him to set the edge maybe a little better than them. So on rundowns, I see it where it makes sense, but he needs to be on the interior for pass rushing downs. You know, the reports are that he's come in a little bit more lean once again this year, probably with that intention of being able to move outside more often. Obviously, in OTAs, we saw images of him lined up as a defensive end. So this really could be something that they're working on this offseason. We just don't expect it to be a full-time gig for Jones. Now, it is noted in Jones's history that he is a guy that likes to collect sacks. He's a guy that likes to get after the quarterback. He likes to have the big flashy play. 
That's been some of the criticism of him in the past is that he's chasing sacks as opposed to strictly doing his job. It's interesting to me that his contract explicitly rewards him for doing that. He's got a 10 sack incentive. So he's got a a $1.25 million, not likely to be earned incentive in his contract this year for getting 10 sacks or more. So I'm sure that Chris Jones relishes the opportunity to rush the passer inside, outside, or wherever he has an opportunity uh, to get in there and, and make some money. I'd argue that he gets close to that 10 sack incentive by being a pass rusher from the interior, you know, I, especially with some of the other guys they brought in uh, or they have on the defensive line this year. So that's interesting. But to the next question, and this goes into it, obviously, you know, uh, from at Chiefs, Chief 8120, Wes on Twitter. If Stone Cold, Stone Cold Jones, plays defensive end pretty well and Reed has the year we hope for, do the Chiefs try and retain Jaron Reed? He is on a one-year deal, about $6 million this year, and so he will be a free agent after next year. Matt, what do you think about that possibility? You know, I'm sure they'll try. I mean, he's a good player. He's going to elevate their defense. If he does this year what they think he might do, I'm sure they'll have that conversation, right? Yeah, I think the thing with Jaron Reed is since he's on a one-year deal and Derek Naughty is a free agent after 2021 – it just it would be hard for them to have those two guys be the main guys on the interior and then just see them both walk when it'd be it'd be good to at least keep one of them and Reed's pass rush ability is definitely makes him a more attractive player than Naughty who's just more of a run stuff or kind of a a one tool guy but that's the thing you know if Reed does play really well he might price himself out we've seen some of these pass rushing D tackles make a lot of money and so maybe Naughty is just the more uh, pliable player to to retain because maybe he doesn't earn as much. And a big issue with Reed in Seattle was his contract and his desire for a bigger deal. Yeah. Seattle's desire to get him to take a pay cut or, or to work him within their salary cap. So it, it could be an interesting negotiation that they have there. Our next question from Mr. Toes, Mr. Eat Toes 69 on Twitter. How big or little of an impact will Sammy Watkins' absence be from this offense? I'm assuming it'll help the rotation. And, and help the play design for Coach Reed. But what do you think, Ron? So Watkins' absence, it actually may help the other receivers progress because they're going to be getting their first team reps throughout the training camp, offseason, all that kind of thing. And is, he's not going to, they're not going to be practicing behind him. And then once it comes to the season, you know, he's in and out of the lineup as we've seen in the past. But I do think his big playability will be missed. You know, we've seen Sammy turn a 10-yard pass into a 70-yard touchdown, uh, you know, Jacksonville 2019. You know, Robinson Pringle just don't have that same big playability. But I do think, in general, uh, Watkins' absence will help the progression of the receivers behind him. You know, I'd I'd argue that Sammy's absence has been an issue for this team for about three years. The guy's obviously been very productive for this team when he is on the field. When he's not on the field, then the offense has run into some issues. And maybe you're right. Maybe – him being completely off the roster, giving everybody else an opportunity to earn a role in training camp as opposed to being thrust into a role midseason when when Sammy gets hurt, not if, then it, it, it maybe it helps those guys. So we'll see what happens. I do like the the possibilities with some of the younger guys on the roster, and really it's uh, it's their opportunity now, and and we'll see what they can do with it. Yeah, overall it probably won't affect the offense too much, you know, not noticeably, you know, we'll still be, there'll still be a high powered offense on the field, but to Jake Wilson at Jake for now on Twitter, he had a good question. 
which day two draft picks from the 2018 and 2019 draft classes are likely to either sign second contracts with the Chiefs, leave as a free agent after the rookie deal, or struggle to make the team in 2021. We went ahead and expanded it to every player on the in these two draft classes, 2018 and 2019. Matt, what are you thinking? Well, let's let's just go year by year. Let's start with 2018. And as we all know, that's a draft that arguably set this team back a couple of years in their development because the only players left off of that 2018 draft class are Derek Nottie, Dorian O'Daniel, and Armani Watts. Given these three options, I've got Nadi as likely to sign a second contract if the price is right, of course. I've got Dorian O'Daniel as likely to either leave after his rookie deal is up or maybe even struggle to make the roster this year. Might be an interesting guy that's on the bubble, as we've talked about uh, already this year. And then Armani Watts is someone who I think very much will struggle to make the team this year in, in 21. Watts, given his special teams ability, has been solid, but he has not seen much action on defense, hasn't been overly impressive, I would argue, when he's on the field. And they just signed you know, Will Parks, which is a guy who can play a similar position you know, and has some more versatility. So maybe, maybe Watts is on the bubble this year as well. Yeah, we'll have some disagreements there because I think with Watts, like you just mentioned, his special teams ability, I think that might keep him on the team uh, for this year. I don't. I, I think he'll he'll make it. Although you you make good points. I mean, Will Parks coming in, we, we'll see how that kind of affects him. I have O'Daniel uh, struggling to make the team in twenty one. I, I think with and maybe it's because it's fresh on my mind. If, if you're an Arrowhead Pride reader, I just posted an article with Riley Cole, the undrafted free agent, breaking him down. And I, I, I kind of like what I saw. So I, I just think there's some young linebackers that might be able to overtake O'Daniel. I have Nadi as someone who I think he's going to leave after his, his rookie deal. We kind of just touched on it, but I just think the, he's, his role is replaceable as a run defender. He just isn't as uh, doesn't have the pass rush juice, and you kind of need that from all your players nowadays. There isn't just a designated run-stuffing player. And even if there is, you can kind of find him maybe later in the draft as a cheap free agent. So... I think Nadi will leave after his free agent or leave after this year. That was a tough draft class. And, you know, there's certainly some role players there, some special teamers, Nadi being the best of the bunch at this point. We will see how it plays out as the summer goes on. Significantly better look so far of the 2019 draft class. The entire class is still on the roster with uh, Nicole Hardman, Juan Thornhill, Colin Saunders. Uh, Fenton and Darwin Thompson and Nick Allegretti. Uh, so here's how I see those guys playing out uh, from top to bottom. I think McCall Hardman is probably on track to leave after his rookie deal expires. I don't think he's in any risk of not making the roster this year, but I don't know that he's quite earned that second contract yet. I think he could do it. I'm still optimistic on him. I think there's enough there from a playmaker perspective that uh, he could certainly earn that second deal. But as of right now, he's probably fairly likely to leave after his contract expires. I think Juan Thornhill is on track to earn that second contract in in pretty near future. Colin Saunders may, I think we've already put him on the bubble this year. I think he's going to struggle to make the roster. Uh, Rashad Fenton, I've got uh, leaving after his rookie deal. There's no reason to cut him. I think he's got a role on the team. But again, I'm not sure that he's, 
done quite enough yet to earn a second contract. Uh, Darwin Thompson, also same boat, probably leave after his rookie deal. Again, I think he makes the roster this year just because of his unique ability on special teams and in some ways, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire light uh, stature on the field. They seem to like what he can do in very, very limited roles. You know, maybe he gets another shot this year, but maybe not another contract yet. And then Nick Allegretti, if we haven't already put him on Bubble Watch 2021, he'll be on there soon because with all the competition they brought in on the interior offensive line this year, it's really difficult to see all of those guys making the roster. Nick Allegretti could end up being the odd man out. Although uh, some, I think Pete Sweeney on a recent podcast said that he still likes Allegretti as a possible starter on this team, maybe at guard. So, you know, there's a whole range of outcomes for Allegretti to be determined, but I think one of those very likely outcomes is that he does not make the final roster this year. Yeah, I'd agree with you on Allegretti. I I put him in that category as well, just uh, for what you said. I put Darwin Thompson as on that in that category to struggle to make the team in 2021. I just I think I had the belief that they can keep three running backs. They don't need a fourth running back, and I think Jarek McKinnon would beat him out in that sense. But at the same time, you you made some good points. I do agree with you on the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire thing. I think they have similar run styles, honestly, and body types, and and might, that might be attractive to keep. Um, but Rashad Fenton, I have him actually as maybe getting an extension before his his rookie contract gets up. When you look at how the Chiefs have handled corner, they don't invest a lot of, a lot in cornerback. They don't draft cornerbacks high. They don't sign huge free agent cornerbacks. They really don't. They've relied on one-year deals and uh, younger players. And, and so I think maybe they see Fenton as a guy that they can sign, they can extend uh, pretty cheap before his rookie deal ends up. And they have a guy that's, that's in the system and knows the system and plays pretty well and he gets thrown in. So I have him in that category. And then I also have Thornhill in that category for obvious reasons, uh, signed second contract. I think he will be one of the better safeties in the league at one, in, at one point. Colin Saunders, I have in that struggle to make the team in 21, unfortunately, but he sounds motivated. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter. Uh, he sounds pretty motivated to uh, prove prove us wrong right here. So hopefully that is the case. I hope he I does. Put, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and, and I'll just say, I actually put McCole Hardman uh, in the second contract. I am not a huge believer in him right now, but the more I think about it, with his speed and everything, if 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 he doesn't excel, I, I think they may still re-sign him and, and just, hey, he's a, he's a certain role and we're going to have him. You know, he may not be the second-round pick that we thought he was, but that's fine. He has a role. But if he doesn't, you know, perform well and, he, and he's – or, I mean, if he does perform well, excuse me, if he does perform well and becomes this – all-star receiver, I think they're going to want to keep him, right? So I think either way, actually, he make, he makes sense to have a second contract. He brings a little bit of what Tyreek Hill does, and I think that was the reason we a lot of us thought he was drafted in the first place is when there was some doubt right. about Tyreek Hill's status, you, know, you go up and get McCole Hardman, who's got similar speed, and, and hope that he has a similar career path. It hasn't been exactly the same, but you, know, you go back to his rookie year, he, he had, what, seven touchdowns? He's he's shown the ability to make big plays, and for that reason alone, he might be worth keeping around. Speaking of people we want to keep around, going right back to Mr. Eat Toes, Mr. Toes on Twitter. Uh, is it just me, or is this the best team, both offense and defense, that Mahomes has had so far in his career? And just how dominant do you think this team can be? 
Well, I'm with Mr. Mr. Eat Toes on this one. I think he brings up a good point, and I'm just going to lay it out for you guys, bullet by bullet. When you factor in how good the offensive line should be, should be the best in in Mahomes' era, right? I would I would say so. If you factor in how Clyde should be more involved in the passing game this year, similar to how we've seen Kareem Hunt uh, when 2018. I did some research on this the other day. Mahomes had 154 pass rating when targeting Kareem Hunt in the past game, 2018. He had an 86 pass rating when targeting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year. I think that obviously gets closer to that Kareem number. So when you factor that in, you factor in McColl maybe hitting his stride a little more as a wide receiver two or three. You factor in Noah Gray giving the tight end two position a little more upside than they've had in the Mahomes era. The pass rush unit is, is as stacked as it's been since 2018 with D. Ford and Justin Houston. Thornhill and Legereus Need taking another step. It just all kind of adds up to this team being the most dominant we've seen in the Mahomes era. So I'm totally with Mr. Eat Toes. Definitely. So, yeah, that offense taking that step forward with the offensive line enhancements. That's really strangely so many of us are excited about this year is if you just take all other factors equal and you put Mahomes behind a good offensive line, this is the best team that we've seen on the field in some time. And that probably includes that Super Bowl winner yeah and i feel like we've gotten so used to greatness that like it's, it's not really clicking with us that like we might see even another level of greatness this year um so we'll see how that goes uh, so just how dominant can they be is a, is a good part of that question too because we talked about our record predictions last week and mahomes is now out in the media talking about 20 and 0 as a, as, a, as his goal that's what you want players to shoot for you want players to have their goals be the team goals and not individual statistics and i think that was his his point in making that statement. I certainly don't think this team's going undefeated, but they did somewhat cruise through the regular season last year with only one real loss on their on their schedule. Exactly. And now they've got a more dominant offensive line. They've got some other pieces here and there and hopefully some in-house improvement. That's uh, That says a lot about what this team can be this year. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's crazy to think about. And so another crazy thing to kind of remember and think about uh, from Michael Josepher on Twitter, isn't it amazing Mahomes is a chief? That's all he asked, you know, and, and, I, and I totally am with him on this question. Sometimes you just got to sit back and think, how amazing is it that we have this quarterback? What's your take? I love all these optimists coming out and asking questions. This is folks <laughs> after my own heart here. It is hard to believe sometimes you think about Mahomes being on this team. I do tell the story of, of pre-draft Mahomes. I've been a fan of the draft for a long time, and I haven't gotten very many picks right for the Chiefs. There have been two players in the first round that I've correctly wanted and predicted that the Chiefs would draft. And, and I'm saying both wanted and predicted because I think I may have predicted D Ford, uh, and not, but that wouldn't have been my choice. But the two that I got right, and I was glad that I got them right. First one was Eric Berry. Uh, the second was Patrick Mahomes. He was really the guy I had sights on for, for months prior to the draft. I'm not the only one. I'm not by any means saying I'm some great draft prognosticator, but that one is just the most amazing combination of somebody that we identified pre-draft that was just incredible to watch in college that we couldn't understand why people weren't more excited about him pre-draft. Then they traded up for him, and we were jumping out of our seats. I know I was, knowing that they're going up to get Mahomes. And then to see it work out not only well, but beyond our expectations. I don't think even at that time I said, 
you know, they're swinging for the fences. That's why I like Mahomes. They're swinging for the fences. They're going for Super Bowls, not just good. And and so that's what I liked about that pick, whether it worked out or not. Even at that time, there's no way I would have said this guy's going to win a Super Bowl his second season as a starter and be an MVP, you know, that early on in his career. There's no way I could have predicted it, but I'm I'm sure glad that it's worked out that way. Yeah, no, and uh, the thing I always said pre-draft, because, you know, it was the Deshaun Watson draft too, and that was kind of the, you know, some people's obvious cha- answer for that question. I always kind of said, whoever Andy picks, it's going to be the right guy. I, he knows what he's doing, and it's proven that, you know, obviously out of all those quarterbacks, you'd rather have Mahomes for sure. So that was always my pre-draft thing, so it worked out. Well, Chiefs mash forever at Chiefs mash 85 with Butker becoming less automatic on his kicks. Do you think the Chiefs could bring in some competition for him, save a couple million on the cap? And then there was a, a follow-up question for him about extending Derek Nottie and what would that contract look like? Yeah, so on the Butker front, I do think bringing in competition is a little premature right now. I get it. Last year, he missed six extra points. That's a lot. And he also had his highest field goal percentage last year of his career. So it's it's not all bad. He went four for four from over 50 last year, over 50 yards. I don't think bringing in competition this offseason would help him. If anything, it might shake his confidence. And you, we all know kickers, it, it's all about that mental confidence a lot of the time. And so if you shake his confidence at all, maybe it makes it even worse. I'd say you start worrying about it if he performs again pretty bad this year in that in the extra points respect. Um, but I, I don't I don't think this is as uh, this isn't it's not worth bringing in competition this year. I would say. And you're right. You have to think about what's the purpose of bringing in competition. Are you hoping that someone supplants Butker and they're able to cut Harrison Butker this season? Are you hoping to push him to get better and then cut the competition? knowing full well that you're not going to cut Harrison Butker. When you look at the contract situation, you're not saving money uh, by letting Butker go this year. I've got him at a 3.9 million cap number with 4.7 million in dead money, which means they're really underwater in that contract this year. No benefit to cutting him. So you're right. If you're bringing in competition, you got to be prepared to cut the guy uh, who doesn't win that competition. And I don't know that they're prepared financially to cut Butker. I don't know that that's a goal of theirs. The goal should be to continue fixing whatever problems they have from a mechanic standpoint, from a holder standpoint, which really do think was a big part of his misses last year, not to point fingers at the punter, but there's there's some real question about how those guys work together or what the punter or the holder was doing in the situations last year that made those kicks not go the way they expected to. So work on those issues. Get him right. Get ready for the season. They're going to need him. You know, the, the second part of the question about Derek Nadi. Derek Nottie's a bargain right now. He's making $2.4 million. He's due for a raise. He's outperformed that rookie deal. And so he is somebody that I think the team would want to keep around. He's somebody that you'd want to give a raise to. But you got to think about a raise to what level? And what level you're seeing this guy on, if you look at the defensive tackle or the nose tackle type contracts, the low end is what they're paying Jaron Reed in that six to eight million dollar range. Are you prepared to give Derek Nottie a $10 million contract, a $9 million contract, a $13 million contract like a lot of these guys are making? 
Uh, or do you try to get him on that six to $8 million range and then hope that that's good enough to keep him out of free agency? Even so, with the cap going up, they've probably got some space, but they may have other priorities there too. So you, you've got to really think about Derek Nadi as good as he's been versus what replacement value would be given the, the contract demands that he's going to have. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there at the end, uh, the replacement value. What he brings to the table for the Chiefs defense is important, but it's also something you can find later in the draft maybe, cheap veteran free agent, that kind of thing. It's not something that you need to give a long-term contract for, just being a good run defender who doesn't really see the field on third down. I mean, we do not see Derek Naughty in pass rushing situations. Well, Ron, I think we got to pay some bills and take a quick break. But before we do, I did want to tease what, we're, what we have planned for the second half. I mentioned earlier that later on today, we were going to try to bring up something controversial, see how many of you we can offend on a topic that's passionate. What we're going to do is a barbecue draft. Ron and I have each prepared our big boards without tipping off our hands on what we, uh, what, who we plan to draft or what we like. But we're going to go pick by pick and draft a full barbecue platter with the best items at the best places in Kansas City, in our opinion. And we'll see who at the end ends up with the better suite or the better starting lineup of barbecue items right after this break on the Out of Structure podcast and the Arrowhead Pride podcast network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Back in on Arrowhead Pride's Out of Structure podcast. Make sure you're reading our stuff at ArrowheadPride.com every day. We're posting new stuff. OTA is going on. Always got something to talk about on ArrowheadPride.com, but... Next question we got from Twitter, Judd Choate at Judd R. Choate. Hopefully I'm saying your name correctly. Good question here. A little history for us. List the top 10 Chiefs quarterbacks ever, I assume, based on their performance while a Chief. Stags, what kind of list you got for us? All right. So going back through the annals of history for the Chiefs and the quarterbacks that we've seen over our lifetimes and for some of y'all prior to your lifetimes, I got the top five, I think, down pretty cold. From there on, it gets a little bit dicey. So the the top five, I've got Mahomes at number one overall already, given what he's accomplished this early in his career and the trajectory. Uh, I think he's the greatest player in franchise history already, and he's on his way to making that unanimous. Uh, Lynn Dawson right behind him is the only other guy with a stake to that uh, that potential argument. After Lynn Dawson, Trent Green, architect of the high-powered offenses behind the high-powered offensive line. Uh, Joe Montana, just because he's an all-time great and led the Chiefs to that AFC Championship game, nearly pulled that off. And then Alex Smith, for all he contributed to this franchise, bringing them from the depths of despair back up to a competitive perennial playoff power and, of course, mentoring the future goat in Patrick Mahomes. So the top five, I think are pretty well cemented. Any disagreements on the top five, Ron? I, one thing I'm starting to think about now is, so you have Trent Green above Montana, 
but you don't have Alex Smith above Montana. I just, I think, you know, the Alex Smith and Green, you know, I know Green was more of a high-powered offense, but when you're talking about, you know, just being good quarterbacks for a certain amount of time, you know, Green never won a playoff game or anything. I don't even think he, he had one opportunity in the playoffs, I guess, with 03. I don't know. I'm starting to think, you know, I think Alex Smith might be able to jump Montana just because of his a uh, little more longevity than Montana. What do you think? Yeah, that's fair. We certainly caught Montana at the tail end of his career. And Alex Smith really is, has elevated his play, especially in that last season with Mahomes behind him. You know, the efficiency, the deep ball passing, him and Tyreek Hill made quite a connection there. I, I'll give you that one. We'll move Alex Smith up to fourth, Joe Montana down to fifth. And we'll move on to the second half of the top 10. Now we're getting back in years a little bit. So this is before Ron's time, I think. But yeah. the first quarterback that I grew to love in Kansas City was Steve DeBerg. And the toughness, the, the play action ability, the, the short to intermediate accuracy of Steve DeBerg um, puts him in that category. And then you've got Rich Gannon and Elvis Gerbach, who were the two sides of the most controversial decision in franchise history. And I don't know where you land on which one of those was better while they were in Kansas City. Obviously, Gannon was better after he left Kansas City than he was here. Uh, but both of those guys, I think, belong in the top 10, bottom half of the top 10. And then Bill Kenny, just because his longevity made him one of the franchise leaders in yardage, and he was working with a very um, a very challenging situation, poor offensive line, poor team overall, really some dark years of Chiefs history under the Bill Kenny era. Um, and then rounding out the top 10 in one form or another, Matt Castle, the, when the trade first happened, we, we were excited about it. We thought he was bringing respectability back to the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and that did happen pretty quickly under Matt Castle's tutelage. But he was one of those players that you needed everything around him to be perfect for, for it to work out. And when it did, it was a beautiful thing. When it didn't, not so much. Yeah, hey, I, I, it was probably pretty tough to put Matt Castle in there, just writing his name down in the top 10 list of any sort of quarterbacks. But he, he kind of has to be, you know, he led the team to a playoff. You know, I think he went 27 and seven touchdown interception ratio that year, too. Mm -hmm. So Dwayne Bowe was going off that year. So when you look at I get it, I get it. The, the next guys on the list, you know, you're, you're really digging deep into the. Yeah into the list of quarterbacks when Damon Heward is probably just outside the top 10, Dave Craig, Tyler Thigpen, Brody Croyle, you know, Tyler Palco. Yikes. I mean, it's, it's not real pretty after the top 10. It's really not pretty after the top five in, in all honesty, but I do like the question. I do like digging into chiefs history a little bit. Yeah. Well, speaking of quarterbacks who number one on your list, Mahomes, we're going to go into the next Twitter question from Chris fried on Twitter. And he's going off of the assumption, you know, based off of or besides the quarterback, besides Mahomes, who do we think is the most indispensable player on the roster? I think we kind of broke it down offense and defense. You can take it however you want, Stags, but who do you think is the most indispensable player on the roster? On offense, I think it's Travis Kelsey. And maybe Noah Gray is going to change this argument a little bit in the long run, but at least as of right now, there's nobody else that can replace what Kelsey does for this team. And the drop-off from tight end one to tight end two is one that would 
really hobble this offense if Kelsey weren't around. So I, I've got Travis Kelsey, the best in the league at his position. Uh, another recent article we saw, the NFL's top 100, they've got Travis Kelsey listed as number five on that list. He's really an elite player in this league. Losing him would be catastrophic for this team. Yeah, how about that, by the way? Number five in an overall players list. I, w- I was surprised to see that from a national writer, to be honest with you. Um, I don't think... I didn't think he got the recognition like that, but I'm glad he does. So I'll go with my offensive player. I think you make a great point. And actually, that's why the same point I'm going to make for Tyree Kill is that if you take Tyree Kill off this team, all of a sudden this receiving group that has a lot of young, talented players just becomes a receiving group that has no top-end talent and has no really uh, true receiving talent besides – I, I, Demarcus Robinson's the only one with a little legitimate experience, and we all know how we feel about him. So, yeah. I'd, but who's your defensive player? No, yeah, I think you're right on the wide receivers. By the way, is we like the potential of that group when the top of that group is Tyree Hill. But if you take Tyree Hill off of that group, then all of a sudden it's potential only, and that's uh, not a not a good place to be given the status of this team. My defensive player is Tyron Matthew. Given his contract situation, his agent's probably pretty happy to hear us say he's the most indispensable <laughs> player on the team. But what he brings to the defense is leadership, his tone setting, his versatility, you know, the playmaking ability, just the whole package really on and off the field. It's pretty difficult to replace Tyron Matthew. You could have another good safety. You may you have another one on the roster and and Juan Thornhill, but you don't have another Tyron Matthew on the roster or arguably anywhere in the league. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think my choice for defense is based off of a similar sentiment as my pick for offense with Tyree Kill. Chris Jones, if we take him off this team, where's the pass rush coming from? I know we like Jaron Reed. We've talked about it. Frank Clark, you know, we have he has his ups and downs. But if you, do, if you take an elite pass rush, he was number 13 on the NFL Top 100 we just referenced. Oh, excuse me. No, not 13. He was 35, actually. Tiger Kill was 13. Chris Jones was actually number 30. Great podcasting, Ron. <laughs> um, Chris Jones, if you take him off this defensive line, all of a sudden there's no top-end pass rushing talent. It's just a bunch of situational guys. And they really excel. The situational guys excel when you have a guy that demands two people blocking him at one time like Jones does. If you take that away... They're all probably just kind of getting stuffed up, and it's, and it's not a very good pass rush unit. So I'd say Chris Jones. All right, let's do one more question before we get to the much-anticipated barbecue draft. The scouting staffs and the front office groups are getting antsy in the war room, and they're ready to get drafting. So let's take this question from Layton Youngblood, Tony 44 on Twitter. Do you think the run game will have more impact this year? I felt at times the coaching staff gave up on it because of poor offensive line play last year. Absolutely. Do I think the running game will have more of an impact this year? Absolutely. It's it's obvious on the surface, the offensive line has gotten much better. It's much more talented. It's bigger people, bigger players. You have Joe Tooney as one of the best guards in the league, all that kind of stuff. But last year, statistically, the Chiefs were actually, and if you've read my articles, Eric Potter recently, you've seen this stat, the Chiefs had the worst power success rate in the NFL last year. That's a stat courtesy of football outsiders. And just to dumb it down for you, basically just means we were the worst team in the NFL at short yardage runs in certain situations. I mean, in all situations. But uh, yeah, so this team will still be a pass first, pass heavy type. There's no doubt about that. 
But having a better offensive line this year, an offensive line that they can rely on to get those short yards will help them put games away more in the second half. And then also just be able to punch in those drives where they get into the red zone and just settle for field goals. That happened a little too much last year. You know, I've professed my love for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire multiple times on this podcast already in its young season. I do think this team is going to be focused a little bit more on the run this year, not to the detriment of Patrick Mahomes' stats. Of course, he's still the guy. But I think they'll be more successful when they try to run, which will allow them to continue stringing drives together and continue running the football without giving up on it, as the, as the question uh, alludes to. We also haven't talked much about Jarek McKinnon as an interesting uh, secondary option that they added in the run and the pass game. So I think yeah. they've got some players that can make plays. Edward Tolaire can churn out those 5 to 15 to 20-yard runs. McKinnon can break off a, a longer play here and there. And I think they'll just keep the chains moving more. They'll have more space to operate in, and more success should breed more success in the run game. Well, we've talked a lot about Chiefs football, and we've wanted to get to some other non-football takes. Uh, hat tip to Matt Mack at Here Goes Nothing Six on Twitter. He did ask a food-related question. He said, very simply, corn or flour tortilla. Quick answer on that one, Ron. Got to be flour, right? Got to be flour. I, I can't yeah. do the corn. I do love tacos, um, and I do feel like the right answer should be f- corn. It's more authentic. It's what more people right. who make the tacos probably would say, this is what it's supposed to be. But yeah, if I have my choice, I'm always picking flour just on flavor alone and texture. But let's get into what we think is going to be a lot of fun. We'll see how it plays out here. We wanted to do a draft of not just barbecue items in general, but a specific barbecue item at a specific place Again, the draft boards have been set. The scouting departments have been, been busy eating. I know, Ron, you have been. And we've got our boards ready. I have no idea who you're going to pick first, but you've got the first overall pick. We're going to go back and forth for about nine rounds of the draft, and we'll see who puts together the best platter overall. I'll see if you've got some strategy built in here, Ron. But you've got the first overall pick, which means you're guaranteed to hit a home run with the listeners here. You want to start us off with the first pick in the 2021 Out of Structure podcast, Barbecue Draft? Yes, I do. And to preface this draft, I will say I am 23 years old, people. I've only been on this earth for so long, could only have eaten so much barbecue. Shout out to my parents. They did raise me right. We did go to plenty of barbecue places uh, growing up, but I haven't I haven't seen everyone. I haven't been to everyone. And so I'm hoping the, the listeners can get this get this draft and can really uh, recommend some good stuff that we didn't include in our draft. But without further ado, first pick in the draft. I'm going maybe a little chalk, but I'm going Jack Stack brisket. Give me it all day, every day. Brisket's my favorite meat, uh, cut of meat. And so Jack Stack's got the best place. So wow. pick one is in the books. I'll say that's a little bit of a surprise with the first overall pick. And it really opens up the draft board for me, starting at pick number two. So we did preface on what positions we can draft. Three meats slash sandwiches, which I feel like is a big giveaway to who I'm taking first overall. The, the greatest of all time, probably the greatest sandwich in the country. And certainly, certainly the greatest sandwich that you can get at a gas station in the country. 
There it is. A Z-Man on Texas Toast uh, for the win. Uh, I'm shocked that it's still available at the second pick. I'm really excited, though. I will just defend myself a little bit. I was I was not going off the assumption that sandwiches were included, but it's okay because I probably would have taken the Jack Sack brisket either way. Because I really I last time I had it, it was just ridiculously good. But there's not you can't go wrong with the Z Man, especially on Texas Toast. Shout out to a former AP or on that one. Um, pick three in the draft is mine. I got the meat still going. Could I take a side here? Might want to just secure one of the best sides in the city right now. And I think I'm going to do it because I really love this side. I've only had it a few times and not in a while. And it's, it's making me want to go back and get it. Arthur Bryant's baked beans with mm-hmm. the, with the uh, burnt ends kind of put in there a little bit too, with all, with everything that comes with that. Give me those beans all day, every day. All right. That's a good pick. Solid baked beans are a staple of barbecue in this country. So I, I think that's a good choice. They're world-renowned, I think, for their beans. I think that was, that's on the list of items that are famous there. You know, since you've passed it up twice, I'm going to go ahead and go right back to the meat-slash-sandwich bucket, and I'm going to get the second-best barbecue sandwich in all of Kansas City, and that's the burnt-in burger at Q39. Let me, let me just say this. And I hope no one gets too uh, offended, but I have never been to Q39 once in my life. You know, I do recommend Q39. For those of you who haven't, I'm sure there's not very many people who haven't been there. I do live in Des Moines, Iowa, so I don't make it down a ton. But when I do, that's a place I like to go. It also, coincidentally, if you're going to a Chiefs game, it happens to be a good place for Chiefs players to frequent after the game. So I've seen a lot of Chiefs players got to meet a few guys at at, uh, Q39 over the years. So Wow. It's, it's certainly a place that I would recommend you find a way to get to. Well, shoot, you convinced me I got to go, right? No, it's funny. I actually lived right, used to live right next to one, and I just never made it. But with pick five, pick five in the draft, you went Bernard Sandwich from Q39. I'm going to go ahead and take some ribs here. And it was tough for me. It was really tough between two places particularly. Actually, one of them I just tried out this weekend. Um, so I'll shout them out because I think I'm going to go with – I think I'm going to go with – uh, I'll shout out Slaps. Slaps ribs were very good. I will say they'll have my recency bias, but I'm going to go ahead and go with my original pick, KC Joe's or Oklahoma Joe's, as you know. Their ribs have always been my favorite. Um, have always been the, the go-to ribs for me when I'm thinking about ribs in Kansas City. So I'll go Joe's ribs. Good choice. You can't go wrong with ribs or burn-ins anywhere in town. I have not right. really found a bad one of either. Nothing is more Kansas City than burnt ends, but I think I think ribs might be a close second in in lore of barbecue. I haven't taken a side dish yet. And again, I assume this would already be off the board. So oh boy. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to just go for the cheesy corn at Jack Stack. No. Oh. When it comes to side dishes, this one's pretty famous, Rod. I, I see your your draft room uh, seems disappointed with that outcome. Yeah, we're, we're pissed. We're pissed over here, or we're mad. Um, oh, man. You know, I should have taken that off the board quicker. You're right. I, the beans, I just – I figured the beans were something I needed to secure as a side. I went back to the meat. Yeah, that's a great pick right there. But luckily, I have – a backup, but now that you took cheesy corn, I will not have to take that quite yet. I'm gonna wait on my cheesy corn pick. 
But with the seventh pick, without further ado, with the seventh pick, I'm going to go ahead and take another meat because I don't think you will be taking my sauce. So that's good. So I'm going to wait on that too. I'm going to go ahead and take pulled pork from LC's. Oh. I had pulled pork plenty of places, and that seemed to me to be the best. And I love me some pulled pork. I was not about to go this whole draft without picking pulled pork. So LC's is the move. I, f- I feel like pulled pork is an Iowa barbecue staple and something that a lot of Kansas City barbecue enthusiasts would frown upon. But I can't, I can't put anything at LC's as a bad pick. Those guys do it right. They've been doing it for a long time. What a great place to stop prior to a Royals game or a Chiefs game. Uh, shout out to LC's. That's a good pick. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go round out my meat. So I've got the Z-Man. Got the burnt-in burger on the roster already. A little bit of an unconventional, maybe not unconventional. This is very conventional. This is old-school Kansas City barbecue. But I still love going to Arthur Bryant's in the old location on 18th in Brooklyn and getting turkey and brisket just piled high. You know, you get that you get that combination. It's about, you can't see me making hand motions here, but it's about <laughs> yay thick with a stack of Wonder Bread. There's something about the flavor of that meat before you put any sauce on it that is just fantastic. So I'm going to go with that to round out my meats category. Yeah, Arthur Bryant's brisket, it was definitely high up on my list. I didn't want to take, you know, brisket from two places. I didn't think that was right or that made sense. So shout out you. That's a great pick. But with my with the ninth pick overall in the draft, I'm going to go with my side, my second side. And this was a hotly debated you know, now that you took cheesy corn, I think I'm going to go ahead and, and take cheesy corn off my board because shout out to LC's again. They have a unique side that I really, really liked when I tried it. The spicy green beans. I'm a green beans guy. And I do like my, I do like the look when it gets unique, when you know people throw spice and stuff that maybe most people don't. And I really enjoyed when I had it a few years ago, the spicy green beans from LC's. So I'm putting that on my board. All right. Well, at the risk of being too heavy on the world's greatest barbecue restaurant, as pronounced in many national studies, I'm going to go right back to Kansas City Joe's for my next side dish. And this is going to be obvious, I would think, again, but I'm going to take Joe's French fries and the fries seasoning that is sold around the world. Um, They're hard to beat. There's some good fries around town in the different barbecue places, but for my personal taste, the way Joe's does their fries is pretty hard to beat. Yeah, their fries are insanely good. I will give you that. They were they were the next side on my um, big board for sure. So besides the cheesy corn, I will just say right now, uh, Zarda has some good cheesy corn. I know Zarda is not somewhere a lot of people go. It's just right down the street from our office. So we eat it a little too much, um, but they have good cheesy corn. So that's what I was going to go. But now that I have my two sides and my three meats, all we got left is a sauce, a place building and a wild card. So I'm going to just go ahead and get the sauce out off, off the books. I love gate sauce. I love it. I love it. I know it's, it's a little tangy. It's a little, um, there's a little spice to it that maybe people don't enjoy as much, but I'm a, like, I kind of just said with the green beans, I'm a spice kind of guy and I really like gate sauce and they do have a hot sauce too. That's, that's really good too, but I'll just go gates for the sauce. You know, gates and Arthur Bryant sauce, you can kind of put those in the same category they are epic and, and well-known. It really does speak to Kansas City Barbecue with those two flavors. I'm going to jump to the wild card. 
And I'm going back to the more upscale barbecue joint in town in, in Q39. And really, this is a tough one for me. There's three wild cards I want to pick here. Maybe I'll save one of them and maybe we'll get another round in here. But I'm going to go with the wings at Q39. If you've ever had their wings as an appetizer, they are outrageous. It's got kind of a, I don't know if it's a Korean barbecue or sort of a, a sweet barbecue uh, coating on their wings and it is they're ridiculous so that's my appetizer my go-to when i get to q39 okay well i'm gonna have to go ahead and take the place or building and i i had a few in mind but i have to go with the original gas station the original one downtown uh oklahoma joe's gas station i mean come on i i was picking between them and i love gates you know the environment hi may i help you that kind of thing mm-hmm. gotta love that Plus, I will say Gates is usually our uh, pre our post game Chiefs meal a lot of times because it's on the way home from the Arrowhead from where we live. So, but I gotta say, OG Oklahoma Joe's the gas station. Well, I've already alluded to my favorite location. You know, to me, there's two ways to eat barbecue in Kansas City. There's the more upscale places that I'll take my family to. So when I travel to Kansas City, I'm usually with my family. We normally go to Q39 Jack Stack. Uh, or sometimes char bar, just because they're, it's a fun atmosphere. It's a nice place. Uh, it's clean enough that my wife is happy with it. And, and you get that experience of just sitting down at a nice restaurant and also getting fantastic Kansas City barbecue. The purist in me wants to go old school. And I'm going right back to Arthur Bryant's in, in 18th in Brooklyn. Arthur Bryant's you know, the history of that place, you've got 80 years of history in the one location. It's in the Jazz District. It's close to the Negro Leagues Museum. There is so much in that area from a historical standpoint. You walk in that place and you feel like this is Kansas City barbecue over the last, you know, eight decades from when Henry Perry moved his restaurant down there in 1940. Arthur Bryant and Charlie Bryant took over. They come out with the grease everywhere. You can see the pit. You've got years and years and years of seasoning on that pit. The sweaty superheroes that are back there chopping up meat and pulling stuff out of the pit. Served to you on a big piece of paper with a stack of Wonder Bread. No frills, not that clean, but it just has that feeling of like, this is what pure barbecue is all about. LC's kind of has that feeling too. Uh, along with some of the Gates locations as well. Uh, but I'm going to stick with Arthur Bryant's in the original location. Man, I really hope no one listening to this is is hungry or anything or, you know, is, is waiting for a meal or something. <laughs> we are going to make them starving, just like I am, honestly, now. <laughs> um, but I think we only got one pick left. Am I am I right on that? One, one pick you, left. You've got a wild card pick and I've got a sauce. Yeah, so I got a wild card pick. And this is where I kind of just mentioned them, uh, Zarda Barbecue. It's it's not one of the most famous for sure. I just I grew up right down the street from it. My office is right down the street from it. So I've always we've always had that. Probably the most I've had barbecue out of all the restaurants, which is kind of sad because, like I said, it isn't as great as the other ones. But I will go ahead and take a beef and pork sandwich from Zarda as my wild card. Their beef is actually exceptional. It's very good, and I do like the combo with the pork is just great to me i actually do like their sauce too zarda sauce so i'll go that shout out to the suburbs with zarda there all right (laughs) well my last pick sauce wise again you tipped your hand i knew you were going with gate sauce so i knew i could wait 
till the yeah. final pick of the draft in order to pick up the sauce that I like the best for a day-to-day use. I do respect the originals, but when I when I buy barbecue sauce, when I come to Kansas City and I need to pick up a bottle to take home with me, it's the Jack Stack spicy sauce that I'm taking home with me. There and, we go. And that that's my sauce. That rounds out the draft. But tell you what, Ron, I'm not ready to be done with this yet. My big board still has some <laughs> tremendous talent on it. Let's go at least one more round. You get one more pick in any category. Um, go ahead. Okay. Okay. Um, I'll, sh- I'll let me let me shout out a couple because, like I said, like I alluded to with Gates, uh, I go there after every Chiefs game with my parent, or with my dad, and and family, and so I love their beef double decker sandwich. That's usually what I get. Their onion rings are also very good, so I will say that. But I did check out Slaps this weekend. It was the first time I I went to Slaps this weekend, and I had the ribs, and they were very, very, very good. So I'll, I, I gave you some honorable mentions there. All right, what so do you, you got? You got three undrafted free agents there on your roster now with the. Uh, the beef double decker, the onion rings, and the, and the slaps ribs, right? All right, so I've been saving this pick because I know nobody, nobody that I know has ever tried this, but everybody, I recommend it to everybody. If you go to Jack Stack, order the vegetable kebab. The vegetable <laughs> kebab at Jack Stack is ridiculously good. It's amazingly seasoned. You know, you, it really rounds out the meal. It's got a nice kind of a, a dill dipping sauce that comes with it, but it's just got the barbecue seasoning on these giant vegetables on a stick. It is really a nice way to round out a meal for me. Uh, I'll eat it as an appetizer or as a side. The veggie kebab at Jack Sack, there's nothing else quite like it. I'm also going to say that, you know, I, I mentioned burn ends earlier. I did go with the burn-in burger. I wasn't expecting to take that, but it, but it just – spoke to me on the board at the time. I'm going to throw in another set of burn-ins from BB's Lawn Side. Uh, really, oh, okay. really good burn-ins at a place that I've tried more, more recently. So I'm going to add on a veggie kebab, some burn-ins, and then I have one final undrafted free agent spot with you know a lot of competition for players out there. Everybody's burning up the phones. I'm looking to see what spots I can fill on my roster still. And you know what? (laughs) For the wild card of wild cards, I'm going to add, as an undrafted free agent, Minsky's and Joe's burn-in pizza. Oh. It's just an out-of-left-field ridiculous combination to, uh, to really make my championship barbecue platter on another level. Dude, that stuff is so good. Every time they start to do that collab, I make sure I get at least, you know, the pizza one time because that is ridiculously good. If you if anyone out there has not tried that out when they do that, I don't know if they are doing it right now or not, but um, it is insanely good. So good pick. Good call. Well, Ron, I feel like I dominated this draft, but you, <laughs> you know, have you have experience, you know, you're the veteran of, of the group. So, you know, I, a I chance I'm biased and I'm sure the people will have plenty of takes. So we'll put this out as a poll or an article in some way, shape or form. Let us know who's right and why it's me. So I <laughs> run uh, for Ron Cobb Jr. for Matt Stagner on the Out of Structure podcast, Arrowhead Pride podcast network. Thank you so much for tuning in, for indulging us as we indulge in some barbecue and some Chiefs takes. We will talk to you next week.